Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. back to the Baltimore B-Town podcast. It is Friday, July 12th, when you'll be listening to this. My name is Jake Luke. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Spencer Schultz and Vasily Larikos. How are we doing, boys? Doing well, Jake. How you doing? How you doing? Doing good, brother. What about you, Voss? Can't complain. Can't complain. Looking forward to training camp. Yeah, no doubt. It's coming up. Um, yeah, like I said, it's going to be Friday the 12th when you're listening to this. So what, what will that be, like two weeks? Yeah, just about. Yeah, I guess they open on like the 26th or thereabouts. But yeah, it's an exciting time, not necessarily for the next few weeks as a sports fan because it's kind of in that weird period in between the MLB All-Star game, All-Star break, and then you know training camp starting up in a couple of weeks. But yeah, until then, we'll, we'll try to fill the airwaves a little bit here and keep you guys entertained while you wait for Ravens football. And in order to do that, we will jump right into the news. How does that sound, boys? Excellent. Sweet. All right. So first bit of news here. Matt Judon, Ravens linebacker, heading into his fourth year, I believe, says that the 2019 Ravens defense has a chance to be quote unquote legendary. Do you guys see this? It's a bold statement. It really is. But you have to respect the confidence. The two most recent legendary defenses, the 2013 Seahawks and 2015 Broncos, they averaged more than 30 takeaways. I think that's really the key to being legendary. Last season, the Ravens forced 17 turnovers. If Martindale in his second season as play caller can push that number up over 30, I think they could be legendary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the takeovers should look a little different. I figure the Ravens play a little bit more single high, as we've kind of talked about, which should allow. Because the Ravens don't usually get a ton of uh, interceptions lately because they play so much press man-to-man. You're not looking at the quarterback. You're not playing zone a ton. 
um, waiting on the ball, trying to jump the route. You are trying to just shut your man down and swat the ball out of his hands. But with Earl Thomas over top, he gives the Ravens that center fielder they haven't had in a while. The defense as a whole, the way they've built things up the last couple of years is just speed, speed, speed at every single position. I mean, the man who talked about it himself, Judon, he can cover. He makes plays 25 yards downfield. He has some wheels on him um, from end to end. Kenny Young, Peanut, Board, all those guys can move, and they rally to the football. So I'm not sure if this is going to be a statistical leader defense, but I think as far as being a tough defense to break through the second level, it's going to be an unbelievably potentially legendary defense um, with gang tackling and guys that just get to the football and drag you down. Yeah, I kind of agree. And yeah, you mentioned Judon, who's kind of an underrated guy in the aspects of like coverage and stuff like that. He does a lot more than just rush the passer. So I think he's sort of a little bit of a microcosm of what they want this defense to be, which is multiple. Uh, you know, you bring in all these athletic guys on the back end. You're so deep at corner. You have the best safety duo in the league, probably not as much emphasis on inside linebackers as they had in recent years. So I guess we'll see how that works out. But yeah, I think for a dominant defense in this day and age, I don't necessarily know if you need it. So as far as saying that they're going to be legendary, that's obviously a high watermark. You know, that 2000 Ravens uh, defense, the 2002 Bucks, 13 Seahawks, the 15, 15 Broncos that people don't really talk about that team, but they were badass, too. I think getting into that category is going to be tough, but yeah, I think it starts with like the splash plays, going for the sacks, going for the takeaways, and I think they are set up to do that, at least from a takeaway standpoint, bringing in guys like Thomas. Um, I don't know how they're going to do with the pass rush. I think there's some pass, some patchwork elements there, but yeah, ultimately, um, I think it's obviously a very much a mid-July story that this is coming out, but also, uh, you know, it's cool to see a guy kind of be a little bit confident and a little bit brash on your team. I'd, I'd rather him be that than the alternative, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, you got to be confident to do it at this level. So he's obviously spewing with confidence. Don't forget the 2006 Ravens defense. Yeah, they I knew were, you were going to throw that out there. The legendary. <laughs> they were, I mean, sacks, takeaways, t- interceptions, red zone defense. They led everything. They helped Peyton Manning to five field goals in the playoffs and still lost best record they've ever had 13 wins that season air mcnair baby yeah um for bob sanders taking that pick back uh, i remember that deep ball oh. and the heap fumble he fumbled on the right. goal line. oh my god that was like one of the first games i remember like really being into because i was born in 95 so like that i was what 11 at the time yeah that, that, that was that was a tough one especially given the regular season record but that team yeah that kind of really got me into football in the way that i am now so you know at least we have that to thank for it But yeah, I guess moving on to our second little bit here, Ravens rookie Marquise Hollywood Brown was listed at number four on a list of rookies that NFL.com's Lance Zierlein, who does a great job, thinks could win the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. He is trailing Kyler Murray of the Arizona Cardinals, first overall pick, Josh Jacobs running back for the Oakland Raiders, who was a late first rounder. And then David yep. Montgomery of the Chicago Bears, who was somewhere in the mid-rounds, I think the third, he was a running back as well. A little high in my mind. Hollywood needs to get on the field first. I wouldn't pencil him in as the top receiver on the team yet until we start seeing him making some plays in training camp. The Ravens are going to be a run-first offense, and the last wide receiver to win Rookie of the Year was Keenan Allen in 2013. But it doesn't matter. Regardless, the Ravens don't need Hollywood to win Rookie of the Year. Just provide maybe 60 to 80 yards per game 
and his contributions will definitely be felt. The guy I'm a little befuddled by there on that list is David Montgomery. Not for doubt of David Montgomery's capabilities. I just think Tariq Cohen is the reason they got rid of Jordan Howard. Um, so I'm not sure about that one. The other guys I would watch out for in this conversation that weren't listed were Mecole Hardman, my guys, everyone knows, DK Metcalf, and Dwayne Haskins, depending on when he steps in. Um, but really, I see Jacobs being a heavy favorite, as Zerline pointed out, because Gruden's main workhorse running backs, if you think back to maybe Cadillac Williams, those kind of guys, he likes to get his workhorse running back around 300 touches a year. And if a running back, we saw it last year, Baker Mayfield had a great year, set a record for touchdown passes. Then um, Saquon Barkley was just a more outstanding running back. So I feel like running backs really tend to get this award, and Jacobs is in a good spot for that. But Brown could be in consideration for sure if he has a high yards per catch and puts up a few touchdowns. Yeah, Jacobs is a beast for sure. I think he'd be my pick right now. I think he's kind of the perfect fit for what they were trying to do there. You know, high character, high productive guy from a big school going to come in there and help turn that Mike Mayock, John Gruden regime around. The David Montgomery thing, I think that's sort of the connection with boss's boy Nagy there a little bit. I think they... uh, believe that they're going to know how to unlock him a little bit even in year one that's why they were confident in moving on from jordan howard so i can maybe see that but i also understand the argument with Tariq cohen already in the picture that's maybe a little bit of an out of left field one maybe with murray it's going to be tough you know i feel like that's kind of a team success thing like if they do really well obviously he's going to win it but i don't really see the wins there so for that one yeah i'm not totally sure but yeah for hollywood i kind of was with voss i thought it was a little bit high I wonder about the kind of production that he's going to have, even in like an ideal scenario this year in year one. Um, I think one way or the other, we're going to see the wow type plays from him. But from like a yardage standpoint, I don't necessarily love his chances because you do need to be productive. And I think this is going to be a run heavy offense and he's going to get his, but it's not necessarily going to be in the consistency that you'd maybe like to see for a guy who's going to be winning this award. Ultimately, I believe in the last uh, I saw something, I believe in the last like 35 years, nine receivers have won it. One thing I would watch out for Hollywood is is um, he's kind of like a supposed to be an advanced version of John Brown. I think if Hollywood gets a lot of screens and quick touches that he could be a little bit a little bit uh, exceeding of expectations, but definitely agree for the most part. Most likely going to be a running back, you know, unless unless Murray plays well, as Jake said. Uh, I don't see Montgomery either, but I do think he's going to get a lot of touches because Cohen just can't handle those touches. And the Bears have a very good blocking line. Um, but one of the receivers don't don't sleep on New England Damian Harris either. Yeah, and also they got Nikhil Harry there as well, so they're they're going to be pretty stacked. Uh, yeah, I mean it's going to be the manufactured touches with Hollywood if he were to even sniff the award, like you mentioned there. If you watch his tape at Oklahoma, that's all. Or I mean, obviously not all, but a lot of his big plays were just dump offs down into the flats, little mesh routes, kind of concepts to spring him loose and shallow cross. Yeah, shallow crosser stuff that'll let him get the ball in his hands and then just use that athleticism to just burn people. I'm thinking of like the West Virginia game from last year. Like if you watch that, he's just like a video game player out there. But yeah, I guess we're in a consensus there that he's probably not going to win it. But uh, it's it's cool to see him get a little bit of love. I mean. We don't really see a ton of successful drafted receivers around here. So to even see that at this point is a little bit surreal for me, at least Uh, moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on. um, Speaking of receivers, Lamar Jackson, quarterback of the Ravens, as everyone knows, gets together with a couple of his receivers, Willie Sneed, Chris Moore, and a guy who's maybe going to play some receiver this year, Robert Griffin, the third for private workouts down in Florida. Lamar's building that camaraderie with his receivers. as We touched on a few times. 
Uh, they had a nice picture of all the guys uh, sweating out there. Uh, Willie Sneed, I think that's his main man. I fully expect Willie to remain his go-to guy. Teams are going to run a lot of zone because of Lamar's scrambling ability. And Sneed thrives against zone coverage. And it's just it's good to see. But uh, let's see him do it on the field and training camp and start building it with some of the new additions as well. Yeah, great to see him stick to his word and getting everybody together. The thing that sticks out to me, and I remember Earl Thomas made a comment because their lockers are next to each other. He said how you don't know how funny of a guy Lamar is. And it seems like teammates are really uh, magnetized towards this dude and seems like they're great friends. And I think whereas, you know, Joe Flacco was a little bit older of a guy, um, seeing a ton of different teammates come and go. It seems like Lamar is young and wants to establish some friendships, kind of like the college environment almost. Plus, he is an athlete. Not that other quarterbacks aren't, but he is more of an athlete. And I think that that gets a little extra respect. I'm also excited that he's got all these veteran guys around him to critique him and to criticize him. And I don't think those guys are going to be afraid to say anything. Whereas with Flacco, it seemed like it was kind of his way or the highway. I hate to keep comparing them to dudes of Bronco now, but just based on the last couple of years in Baltimore, and I think in addition with Mark Ingram being in the backfield, if he if Lamar is doing something funny, I think they're going to tell him what the what the heck is up, basically, and lay down the law on him since he's a younger guy and still learning. Yeah, I mean, with Flacco, it's like you, you do a little session like this, and then you go back home and play some pinball in the basement and watch The Bachelor. Like, with Lamar, you can, you know, go and play some pickup hoops and, like, do this other kind of stuff. So, yeah, not to harp on that comparison too much, but I do like seeing this, I think, mainly because it kind of shields him from the narratives that kind of bit Flacco, I think, at certain points where it's like, oh, he's not getting together with his receivers, so he's not putting in the work. And, you know, if he goes out there and doesn't play up to par, then people are going to throw that in his face. So that's not going to be the case thanks to stuff like this. And, um, yeah, I think just go out there and let your play do the talking for better or for worse. And I think if this type of stuff helps you to do so, then great. I don't necessarily see it as any sort of super necessary thing, but uh, it's it's uh, good to see him build that camaraderie for sure. And I think Willie Sneed, as you mentioned, Voss, is going to be a very uh, key element of this offense. So it's good to see them get the chemistry going there for sure. All right, moving on to our fourth bit of news, Pro Football Focus, who we love on this podcast. I feel like we mentioned them at least five times a show. We should probably start extorting them for a little bit of money here. Uh, But they ranked all the offensive lines in the league. The Baltimore Ravens came in at number 11 overall. Yeah, PFF praised the Ravens' bookend tackles, Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown, Zeus Jr. And, of course, Yonda. They love Marshall Yonda over there, the way they grade. Skura and Alex Lewis prevented the unit from climbing higher. If someone can beat out Lewis at left guard and surpass his well below average 49.3 grade using their system, I think the Ravens offense can easily jump into the top eight of, of all offensive lines across the league, which is really where contenders need to be. Offensive line play is the linchpin to offensive success. I think the Greg Roman system helps that a lot, um, allowing linemen to be in space with their block, kind of getting a, a step or two on their assignment before they see them. Um, in pass protection, they were okay. Uh, as you touched on, we've got the the bookends and then Yonda, of course. The real area where the Ravens' offensive line struggles is against dominant interior defensive linemen, particularly in pass protection. Um, that is what prevents them from being a top-tier unit, uh, you know, top-five unit. But if they're going up against, uh, you know, the Dolphins, I'm trying to think of a team that doesn't particularly have anyone dominant inside. Um, they're going to 
win that battle of attrition, they're going to they're going to hold their own. So they're right there, you know, 11. I, I think they'll kind of stay there unless Skur or someone's able to make a jump. One guy I would like to give a shout out to who I have really ragged on and didn't think he was much of a player at all is uh, Jermaine Illuminor. He has been whipping butt this offseason. That dude, if you look at his social media every single day, the dude is sprinting in the sand with weighted vests and resistance and all this stuff. He looks like a different human. He looks like an MMA fighter almost. So I'm excited for him to make some noise in the preseason, see if he can uh, come into his own in year three, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it feels about right where they're ranked at. I mean, yeah, you guys mentioned both of those two interior guys, Skara, uh, Lewis, I mean, whoever the hell is at left guard these days because it's just like the freaking spinal tap drummer at this point for this team. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, the disparity between them and the other three guys, I know Orlando Brown's a little bit young, but he did play very well last season. It's pretty big. So maybe if you see a guy like a Ben Powers, hopefully surprises here, there at left guard, or maybe let's say they just swing a trade for a center out of nowhere and he ends up playing well, I think it could definitely bump them up a little bit. But as for right now, it feels like a, a little bit of a right on ranking. Um, but yeah, Greg Roman, obviously he was the run game coordinator, so he was super in tune with those guys. Jody Alessandris is the coach there still, I believe. So yeah, I, I guess they're just doing a great job because they kind of do have to make do with some of these guys uh, that aren't named, you know, Stanley and Yonda and Brown. Um, it's, you know, patchwork here and there, but they're, they're certainly making it work there. So uh, good for them. They're a little bit, go ahead, boss. Let's see him give Bozeman a shot at center. I'm not sure if they're going to do that. Reading between the tea leaves, it seems that Harbaugh is pretty pleased with Skura, but they just kind of get pushed around on the inside, as you said. And if they can just maybe put some bigger bodies, maybe that's a Luminor in there to just really help out. When you have the tackles on the outside that can pass protect, you know, you're kind of off to a good start. Just get a little bit stronger on the interior. I like uh, Bozeman over Skura for two reasons. Because number one, Skura throws a, the Ravens under Lamar with Lamar Jackson last season ran ninety, I believe it was ninety six, almost ninety seven percent at a shotgun. Um, Skura was throwing some knuckleballs back there, and Lamar dropped a couple. Some of them he should have had. Whatever, that's the nature of the game. It's impossible to have a great snap every time. But Skura throws some knuckleballs. Number two with Skura, he really needs to improve or Bozeman needs to come in and do a better job at when he is assigned a double team. When you double team someone, you want to put your elbow, your forearm, or your hands into your assignment's hip. You want to get down and hit them in their hip. That is where a human center of gravity is, and Skura is always too high. So I don't know if we'll ever hear this, but Skura, that's my piece for you, buddy. Hit the <laughs> hip, double them off, move Chop block. the man. Chop block. <laughs> God, we're screaming from the mountaintops here at Matt Skura on a Thursday night. Goodness gracious. Um, Dude gets me fired up. We need more out of him. Yeah, apparently. I mean, God, we got to get you out there if you're going to be this pissed off. You'd be able to oh, do a better job than sleds, him. Give me, put me on the sleds and give me a whistle. I will be blowing that. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have Voss there as like the Bob Wiley S character with his stomach like contorting while he screams set hut. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with that uh, intelligent diatribe there, I guess we are now going to get into our segments. Tonight is the night we ride through the camouflage humble with brothers inside. Transitioning, we're going to continue our AFC North divisional ranking series with inside linebackers, a position that saw some definitely significant change. This offseason, maybe uh, the best of the bunch leading the division from last year, and perhaps 
uh, a new linebacker, inside linebacker, ready to become the best of the North. Spencer, who's your top-ranked team? My top-ranked team, I'm going to have to go with the Browns here. Joe Schobert, uh, he's not quite as good as C.J. Mosley was. Like you said, that was the, the top dog there. But Schobert's consistent. He's okay against the pass. He fills his holes against the run. He's rarely caught out of assignment. Um, they run a 4-3, so it's a little different, as do the Bengals. But uh, then they got Mac Wilson coming in. I don't know how that kid fell so far. He can flash, I think, with some NFL coaching and a little bit more, uh, a little bit more time to mature. He's going to be excellent. They also have uh, Sione Takitaki, who I scouted a lot this past offseason. Um, if you need a guy to come in, if there an injury needs to happen, he can kind of play that Sam or that Will and that inside linebacker. He was a play caller for BYU. I think he'll be an excellent special teamer. Um, then Christian Kirksey as well. They have him usually playing outside linebacker, but maybe in some base 245, which is a very prominent uh, package against the three wide formations in the NFL. He can come in there, move around, and be really effective. So I think they don't have a superstar, but they are by far the deepest group in the AFC North. So the Browns are taking my number one spot. Interesting. I went a little different. Uh, I had some uncertainty with the Browns. I think this is one of the one of the rankings where they're not necessarily going to be near the top for me because of it. I actually went number one, Pittsburgh Steelers. Vince Williams, you know, he's solid. That's fine. But I, I just love Devin Bush. And I think I might wager that he's the best inside backer in the division right now. I think he's the blue chipper of this entire group. And I think he's going to plug in there and be that impact guy from day one. So I think there there's a little bit of a... A um, little bit of a brain drain, I guess, with C.J. Mosley leaving the division. I don't necessarily love a lot of the other names here, so I think Devin Bush is going to come in and be the guy from day one for the Steelers. And, uh, you know, like I said, Williams is fine. So position group overall, plus what he brings to it, I had them at uh, one. I'm going to side with Jake on this one. Pittsburgh is my number one inside linebacker group. I think Devin Bush is primed to be the best inside linebacker in the division from day one as a rookie. The college transition should not be too difficult. He's a run-and-hit athlete with coverage skills. He should be that centerpiece Pittsburgh's defense has been missing since Ryan Shazier's unfortunate injury. Beside him, Vince Williams, I think he's an underrated player. His specialty is blitzing, as evidenced by his 12-and-a-half sacks combined over the last two years. Mm. And behind them, Steelers have quality depth in former top-10 pick turned converted safety safety turn linebacker Mark Barron, as well as a special teams overachiever Tyler Matakevich. The Browns are my number two, Spencer. Scobert, he's PFS number 11 graded linebacker, clearly the best returning middle linebacker in the north. He's an instinctual run defender, reliable tackler, makes a bunch of plays in zone coverage as well. Wilson was compared to Mosley in the draft process. And as you said, they have that versatile depth. But I think Pittsburgh's just a little bit better right now. Right. I mean, it's a little uh, a little different flavor just between the 4-3 and the 3-4. Um, I'm going to go with the Ravens number two. I think that Patrick Owasu, um, the dude is an absolute unit right now. He's always been kind of jacked, but this offseason particularly, he looks like he put that throw an offensive guard on the ground by his front of his jersey weight on. Um, I think he's going to be outstanding. I think Kenny Young can take a step. And I just think the Ravens, plain and simple, coach up their inside linebacking unit way better than the rest of the teams in this division. So I see them being really solid, uh, maybe having a little bit of a learning curve at first, but by November, December, really locking it down and making this unit one of the better ones in the NFL. 
If you had to estimate just by like seconds on like how many seconds of these workout videos that you've watched in the spring and the summer, like what would the estimate be? Oh, God. <laughs> I feel like they're they're getting a lot of heat over the last couple episodes. I have seen it all, man. If if someone's sweating, I see it. I'm like, I'm like Santa Claus for sweat. Santa Claus like just for chips ahoy for football players, just men's bodies, just getting after it. I love it. Uh, yeah, I had. I see it all. Yeah, I love it. I had the Ravens too as well. I think it's a pick sort of made on potential a little bit. Um, banking on Kenny Young kind of turning into the player that he sort of flashed there at the first quarter of the season. I, he was looking super fast, super rangy. So I think a, another year of seasoning, he could maybe turn into that guy. And I'm with you. I think I'm expecting big things from Owasso this year. He's a beast. He's a brick there in the middle of that uh, defense. He makes a lot of splash plays. So I think um, expecting him to sort of make that next jump and uh, sort of banking on Kenny Young's potential a little bit. I think the Ravens are just a little bit better than the Browns right now. You guys covered it well. The Ravens are actually my number three behind the Browns. I originally had them above the Browns. It's a little wonky with the different, you know, four three three four base, but I concur. I have faith that they will be fine without Mosley. Grooming inside linebackers is a is a Baltimore tradition at this point. Peanut jack of all trades with that nose for the football. I'm really excited about Kenny Young. He combines really good speed with a feel for shooting gaps and making impact plays in the backfield. And Chris Board, capable run plugger. And another intriguing potential position change would be Tyus Bowser to the inside if he's not receiving reps or necessarily a roster spot with all those outside linebackers competing. He has a skill set to play inside on passing downs for sure. I think Tyus will be able to go into those two, four, five packages I was mentioning right. and go, go to a hook curl or go, you know, maybe – catch a big slot receiver or a tight end or running back out of the backfield. So he'll definitely be able to line up there. Um, I got the Steelers coming in at number three. Devin Bush is a phenomenal athlete. He plays with a ton of heart. I watched a ton, a ton, a ton of film on Michigan because they had so many intriguing guys this past year and for next year. Um, He misses a lot of tackles, Devin Bush. I think that he's going to play well, but I don't think he's going to set the world on fire this year. I think he's, you know, has the blue chip athleticism, but the dude could not get off blocks. And premier athletes, I saw Paris Campbell stiff arm him. There's a handful of plays that come to mind. Um, he kind of doesn't have great length to be able to get guys. And I think he's going to be solid, but I just don't think he's going to be able to take this unit over top. I do really love Vince Williams. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the NFL. As you said, Vaz, he can blitz like a freaking defensive end. That dude annihilates pass pro running backs. He has a couple moves to him and has a great motor. He also contributes on special teams. And then uh, Matikevich, like you said, with Mark Barron. So they've got some decent depth. Um, I do like that group. I think it's much improved. And it really is such a shame. I'm sure most Baltimore fans don't feel that way, but it's such a shame that Ryan Chazier went down the way he did. That injury pretty much solely took them out of being a a true Super Bowl contender, in my opinion, the last couple years. But hopefully Devin Bush is able to get that unit back up to stuff over the next couple. Yeah, I don't care who you're a fan of. I, I hope that is a shame to you on a human level because the guy seems like a very good dude who's in some unfortunate circumstances right now. And definitely he brought a different element to that defense that uh, maybe they could have gotten over the hump if he had been able to hang around. But uh, yeah, moving on, I had Cleveland at, at three. 
Joe Schobert, I like a lot. Chris Kirksey, solid. That's a good one-two punch, I think. Um, and you mentioned like Taki Taki and some of those guys, Mac Wilson. I th- think they're intriguing, but there's just a little bit of uncertainty that if I'm going to have uncertainty with the Ravens and uncertainty with the Browns, like Ty's going to go to my favorite team. So, you know, I think it's very <laughs> close. But yeah, I had the Ravens at two, Browns at three. I don't think the gap is very big. A lot of disagreement in the top three, it seems. I think very contentious. All in agreement. All in agreement on the fourth team. Cincinnati, another lacking position for the Bengals. Former league-wide tackles leader Preston Brown was signed away from Buffalo before last season, yet he turned in a disappointing year, missing nine games. Hardy Nickerson Jr., he's a reasonable backup, nothing special. Definitely not a memorable player like his father was for the Bucks in the late 90s. And then the rookie they have, Deshaun Davis from Auburn. He pretty much has a ceiling of a career backup and special teams contributor. Cincinnati's uh, coming in fourth again. Yeah, the Bengals, I believe, are not doing so hot in our ratings as far, boys. Nope. Um, But I agree. Uh, Preston Brown, we'll see. I think this is going to be a really tough year, uh, especially towards the second half of the year for the Bengals' defense with Zach Taylor being a first-year coach and them seemingly being so thin particularly this inside linebacking unit. Um, Preston Brown's a, a solid guy. He's he's a number two on most teams, probably a number two inside linebacker um, at this point. Nickerson's okay, like you said. I think the Ravens are going to run all over this team. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, Davis, yeah, I, he, I mean, I don't see him doing a ton. And then Jermaine Pratt, not much. They just took him. He is more of a Will or a Sam, probably a Will. Um he could come in there and play if needed, if you want to mix things up a little bit on third down. But I just don't see a ton of potential. This is probably one of the bottom five or seven inside linebacking units in the NFL, in my opinion. Yep, they had a historically bad defense last year. They've got guys like this lining up to start for them. And, you know, the the idea is let's just go get a guy who's 36 who once had a beer with Sean McVay to lead our franchise. <laughs> It's rough. It's, like I, it's it's rough. Yeah, like Preston Brown, fine. Jordan Evans, Malik Chabot. Like this is it's it's rough. They yeah. have some potential, but I think most of those guys are more outside linebackers. They're more wills, you know. Yeah, true. Team. And like potential like is an anchor in the middle, like a Bobby Wagner or something. Right. Yeah. There's the, there's the phrase tractors and trailers. A tractor will go plow through an offensive lineman, and a trailer will follow the ball and go get it. They don't have any tractors. Bucky Schultz over here. Yeah, I, it's just, yeah, Preston Brown, like these, you know, it's, yeah, it's tough. I mean, they're, they're just at rock bottom on all these lists, but maybe it's going to be good for them to, you know, just get this year in. Maybe they'll they'll be in the running for Tua or somebody next year. I don't know. I think you guys were a little low on them in the, in the, in the past rusher ranking, but we'll get to that in our week six preview later on. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, okay, so I guess that wraps that segment up. And moving on into our next segment, we have our divisional predictions. So this week, we are going to be kicking it down from the NFC North, the frozen tundra, down to the NFC West. Cool breeze, uh, you know, you know, beautiful women, you know, great cities, L.A., San Francisco, got to love it. Uh, f- yeah. Um, what are you guys thinking here? We got four teams. I guess we're just going to be predicting them one through four. So l- let's get it going. I think it should be a pretty competitive division top to bottom this year. Uh, the four teams are somewhat equally matched. I'm going to pick the Rams to three-peat as NFC West champs, but I do expect them to take a significant step back. First off, golf really isn't that good. 
He was terrible in the Super Bowl. He McVay's scheme has definitely propped him up, but the league is starting to figure out McVay. Number two, Gurley's hurt. Number three, they lost Roger Saffold, and none of their receivers are really uncoverable number ones. The defense also has some holes. Aaron Donald is the best D-line in the NFL for sure, but his running mates up front are mostly average, including new addition Clay Matthews. They still had the cover corners to leave in Peters, but as we witnessed in Baltimore last season, Eric Weddle can be a liability. He, in my mind, is a downgrade from Joyner at free safety. I think the Rams might have peaked last season, but I do still think they're going to win this division. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go with the Hawks here. Um, you mentioned the cool breezes of California. I'm going up to the, the stormy northwest and the gum-chewing Pete Carroll. I think that the Seahawks, they're kind of similar to the Ravens. They've been more successful for them this decade, but similarly always competitive. And we're kind of in this weird transient period of, okay, we paid Russell Wilson. Where are we going to go? What's the identity going to be? And they got to that power run game last year. And with Russell Wilson being so damn dangerous off the play action and bootlegs and all that, that really allowed them to play big boy ball. And their offensive line of two, three years ago was getting just as much criticism as the Giants line has gotten over the past couple of years. And with that power run game against all of these smaller, faster, uh, pass rushing defensive linemen, it's the same kind of thing the Ravens are seeing. You got these small defensive linemen, fine. We'll go get some big boys and knock them around, and they won't want to pin their ears back and rush the passer as much. Then defensively, Pete Carroll has been really uh, able to gear things up and make some moves. Uh, they acquired Frank, or excuse me, they acquired Frank Clark. No, they got Ziggy rid of him. they got rid of him. And they got Ziggy Ansa. There we go. Um, they got Ziggy Ansa. Ziggy, eh, not a huge fan of that. Frank Clark is a big loss for them. But we'll see how they are defensively without Earl Thomas as well. I think they'll take a little bit of a step back there, but I still see this offense being really good and being like a 12-win team. Yeah, uh, it was close for me, but yeah, I, I was with Voss on this one. I had the Rams running it back. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough division. Um, I think Goff, I don't think he's necessarily as bad as you were saying, and some people seem to think. Uh, and he is being slept on a little bit after, yeah, it was a very bad Super Bowl performance, but he, he's also had some very good games as well, and it's definitely not all him. I know McVay is a a big help to him but McVay's still there and they've got a lot of good talent around him so I think with the firepower that they have on offense and their playmaking ability on defense I had them just edging out Seattle to take the division at probably around 11 or 12 wins I think we're all pretty much uh, on the same page here I think you're reading my notes Spencer Seattle's my number two and they definitely remind me of the Ravens for sure I mean it's very similar what the Ravens have been the last five seasons or so, good enough to contend for the playoffs, but not really, truly contend for the Super Bowl. They just don't necessarily have the players. Russ Wilson is by far their best player. He's just so cerebral and elusive and efficient, and he's got a great deep ball. He's going to air it out to those two deep threats, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, who I think is going to have a good year as a rookie, while Carson and Penny bang it up inside behind that improving offensive line. The defense, however, is pretty questionable. Bobby Wagner is great in the middle, but they lost, as you mentioned. They traded out Frank Clark for Ziggy Ansa. I think that's going to hurt them. And Pete Carroll is definitely going to coach up that defense to average, but they don't really have any playmakers on the back end either. I don't see the Hawks advancing too far unless Wilson has a really exceptional MVP-type season. Well, Wilson does seem to do that every year. I think 
he might be my number one quarterback in the NFL, but that's a different discussion. Um, a couple guys we did miss on their defense, Jaron Reed, really good, uh, LJ Collier, maybe Jake will get into that somewhat. But going on to my number two, I'm going to go with the Rams. I think the Rams are just going to be on a trend downward, uh, one of those classic Super Bowl uh, just spiraling out of control slowly. They did that one-hit wonder, uh, big free agent acquisition thing last year, and now they're going to have to pay the repercussions of it. Their offensive line, I mean, Whitworth is, what, 57 years old. They lost Saffold to the Titans. Um, they're, I believe John, o- John Sullivan, their center, he's gone as well. So that's a lot of pieces to replace up front. Um, as I believe, Vaz, you touched on, their receivers aren't uncoverable. That's the glory of McVay. His route concepts and route combinations are fantastic. Goff, if it's in front of him, it's fine. Goff is just very complicated to me. Um, Their defense does still have pieces in place. But like you said, losing Joyner is big. Tlaib's getting older. Peters really got exposed last year. Um, So I'm not too fond of their defense, honestly, aside from uh, Aaron Donald, who might be the best player in the NFL helps a ton, obviously, so that unit's not going to be doing terrible like I'm making it sound. Um, and then they've got Michael Brockers, who is another one of the, as I said earlier, someone else is, I believe Vince Williams, I said, very underrated. I believe Brockers is also in that category. Great against the run, good uh, pass rusher. He can play multiple techniques. So Rams, I think, will make the postseason 10-6, and six, maybe 11-5, and five, uh, but I don't see them being a dominant dog this year in the NFC West. Yeah, uh, and for two, uh, for me, I'm back to Seattle. Um, it's all, you know, all the things you guys mentioned, a lot of franchises and teams talk about the fact how they reload, they don't rebuild. Seattle is one of the few teams that actually does it, and the Ravens do to a certain extent as well, which is why I think you guys brought up that comparison, and I certainly do agree with it. And you brought up guys like LJ Collier, Jaron Reed. There's some underrated dudes on this defense. Um, Shaq Griffin there on the back end I like a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm right there with you, Spencer, on Wilson. I think he's one of the absolute best players in the NFL, uh, one of the best quarterbacks, at least anyway, top three for me. Um, so I think he has another great season. They're going to be right there in the mix. And like I said at the top, I think it's going to be close between them and the Rams, um, but they're going to be an impressive wild card team uh, for sure this year. I'm a huge Wilson fan as well. Uh, you know, uh, what he does with the pieces around him is incredible every year. Definitely one of the best players, maybe the best quarterback. I might agree with that. San Fran's my number three team in this division. Only four wins last season. They're still right in the thick of a rebuild. Jimmy G will be back from injury behind a pretty solid offensive line. And Shanahan's run offense always produces. He's going to have a big-time timeshare between three or four backs this year. Dante Pettis is poised for a breakout second year, and George Kittle, their tight end, is pushing Travis Kelsey for the top tight end spot after his elite 2018 season. They also drafted Debo Samuel, a polished rookie receiver. On defense, the Niners added pass rushers Nick Bosa and D4 to support Pro Bowl D-tackle DeForest Buckner. They also grossly overpaid for Quan Alexander to man the middle linebacker spot. Uh, personally, I'm surprised they did not add to the secondary. Sherman's not getting any younger, and his surrounding cast is nothing but replacement-level players. I think that secondary is going to be their downfall. I completely agree. I'm going to work backwards from you. There's, I'm taking them. I almost took the Cardinals here because – the Niners have great pieces in place, but there's just something wrong. I don't know what it is. It's my intuition telling me they are not going to be strong. I think Jimmy G, uh, 
I'll get into him in a second. But working backwards from the secondary, they do have a Kella Witherspoon. I think he's a starting caliber, caliber corner. Jimmy Ward is decent. The 49ers had an atrocious secondary last year. They got bombed all over the entire season, could not stop anyone. They got some better pass rush. That's great. But if your pass rush doesn't get home in four seconds, which it's not going to every single play, they're going to get lit up again. Sherman is not even on the back nine. He's on the back two. He's, I would say he's probably done after this season, maybe one more. Um, Quan Alexander's solid. I think Fred Warner it might be the unsung hero of this defense. Niners fans, we talk to them. They love him. Um, up front with Buckner and Bosa and Ford, that will be quite the formidable unit. Then I do love Debo Samuel and Pettis as well as uh, Tevin Coleman. So they've got the unit in order. I just have this terrible feeling, and I'm going to knock on wood for him because I don't wish this on anyone. Jimmy G is not going to play more than like 25 NFL games. I don't know what it is. He is just not durable, and I've had this funny feeling for years. He is going to have the worst contract in the history of the NFL. That gigantic contract, I feel like he can't stay healthy. I think he's a little bit overrated. He doesn't have a big enough sample size to really tell anything that's going on. And I don't buy into him. So with that, I don't think he's a playoff caliber quarterback over 16 games. Um, and I don't think he's a durable quarterback over 16 games. And when you're putting so much on the arm of somebody with a repaired ACL, and uh, I mean, I know Kyle Shanahan is an offensive genius guru, whatever you want to call it. I just don't trust Jimmy. Um so I'm I'm moving on. I almost put the Cardinals three, but go ahead, Jake. It showed up in New England. I mean, he couldn't even stay healthy there when he started the four games, right? He got like injured against the Dolphins and Jacoby Brissett. Think about that, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. He's like a smaller guy, I guess, a little bit. He's like only probably six two, maybe six one, even if he's, he's like be- a regular dude. He's like a regular dude. He's very well in terms of like looks. He is not a regular dude. He is much That's better dude saying. than you and I. But yeah, as far as like his size, definitely. And as a player, like. If you go back and watch that tape before he got injured last year, it was kind of rough. And, like, I love Kyle Shanahan and at least the offense that he puts together, so I hate to do this. But, yeah, I had them 3-2, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, I don't love what John Lynch has been doing. It's kind of weird. I don't really see a plan with it all. It just feels like let's get these, you know, scatty little playmakers to throw in there around Jimmy G, who's pretty fragile to begin with. And they've made some investments on the offensive line, but I don't see anything super impressive. And yeah, as far as their defense, there's a few playmakers here and there, and you throw Nick Bosa in there, that's going to be good, I think. Uh, but other other than their you know front line that they have there on D, I'm not super sold on what they have going on there otherwise. So it's yeah, I just don't really see it, and I kind of hope Shanahan you know doesn't really have to feel the wrath of uh, John Lynch screwing up and Jimmy G not being what people were hyping him up to be. But I'm not seeing it for him this year. I've got him at three, probably finishing at or just below 500 this season. Arizona is my bottom dweller, but it's definitely close between them and San Francisco. There's no question about it. Arizona might have more talent on paper. Kingsbury and Murray definitely have some weapons to work with. David Johnson remains one of the better receiving running backs around. Larry Fitz continues moving the change from the slot, and they have three legitimate bona fide field stretchers in Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, and Hakeem Butler out wide. They also bolstered what was a terrible offensive line last season with Gilbert from Pittsburgh and Sweezy from Seattle. Zona also has the makings of a strong defense with Chandler Jones up front. They brought in Ravens legend Terrell Suggs. At linebacker, they have Reddick. They added Hicks and Buda Baker on the back end with Patrick Peterson when he comes back from suspension across from Byron Murphy, who was a nice-looking corner in the draft. 
The roster's definitely better than a three-win team. They should probably creep up towards 500. The real big question is, with the rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback, how quickly can they figure it out? Absolutely. Um, it's going to be a learning curve for sure. They have a lot of new pieces, new coaching staff. So I'm going to have to agree here. That I think the most underrated piece is Vance Joseph uh, going back out to the Cardinals, able to get out of the spotlight of being a uh, head coach and able to just coach defensive football again. I think that's really going to help a unit that has a lot of great pieces. Um, with Suggs coming in, not going to be, you know, I don't think he's going to make an incredible difference, but I think the bigger impact for him will be him and Chandler Jones' ability to coach up Zach Allen, who I am huge on, as well as uh, Robert Mdiche, who's flashed at times. Their linebacking core is not the best. They do have uh, DJ Swearinger, who I don't really know why. I know he got in that big uh, argument with the Redskins coaches, but he's played lights out over the past like year and a half of football he's been a part of, um, with Deontay Thompson coming in and Bo- Be- oh, geez, Buda Baker. They've got some guys. I think we'll see what Kingsbury can do. And I don't know how they're going to hold on to all these receivers. They've got Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Kevin White, and Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn Johnson was an absolute stud at Fresno State. I don't know how they're going to have to keep, I guess, if you're running shotgun and going five wide all the time, maybe they need six or seven receivers. But I am trying to poach one of them for the Ravens for sure. Um, they also picked up Lamont Guyard in the draft, and they have A.Q. Shipley. They've got some depth in the interior offensive line. So we'll see. I wouldn't be shocked if this is a seven-win team. Something about it feels a little bit special, new, shiny, um, something coming up. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and Kingsbury is the worst head coaching hire of all time, like a lot of people want to say. But I feel like they're going to be a competitive team this year. Yeah, I mean, you guys hit on it all. For me, I wrote uh, fun, young, but ultimately bad. Um, <laughs> I think Kyler Murray is going to make some plays. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I'm rooting for him. Uh, I think he's going to prove not to be a total flop. And I think they're going to re- ride like five or six wins into the offseason with some reason to hope moving forward and continue building around Murray. I'm really excited about him. I think he's the next Michael Vick. I know um, Lamar has gotten some comparisons there, but I think it's a more apt one, Vick to Murray. So I think marrying that with sort of that Kingsbury offense is going to be pretty magic to watch. Uh, you mentioned the defense. I do think T-Sizzle has something left in the tank. And he's going to prove to be a good addition there alongside Chandler Jones. He talked about Vance Joseph as well. I don't think he did necessarily like a great job in Miami. So that was kind of a weird head coaching hire when it happened. But if he can whip those guys into shape just from a personal standpoint, they're they're a young team. So I think maybe that'll help them a little bit. But yeah, like, you know, I think between like six and eight wins and uh, they, they've got something to hope for moving forward. Absolutely. I do love Kyler Murray. I think he's going to be outstanding. But that's going to take us into our final piece before one big thought. Um, we're moving on to week six. And this is typically the part of the year where the Ravens start to really struggle without any further ado. Go ahead, Jake. What do you think is going to happen against the Bengals this year? Uh, So just starting things off, I think looking at their offense, I think Dalton, uh, Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, uh, has regressed the last couple of years. And I think some of these skill guys that they've gone after haven't hit like they needed to. You look at John Ross there. They picked it like number nine overall. That's a total flop. Their offensive line continues to fall apart with Jonah Williams going down. I don't know if you guys have seen this on like Twitter and stuff with some of the murkiness surrounding Clint Bowling, who's their other guard. But there's been some some rumblings on Dark Bengals Twitter that his career might even be over. So that wouldn't be good. Um, and I think all that combined, like it, it wasn't a great unit last year. And then, you know, some of these skill guys aren't really holding up, you know, at tight end with John Ross. I think, you know, you're, you're 
putting Andy Dalton in kind of a tough spot here. And if Baltimore's defense is going to be worth their salt this season, I think they shouldn't have a ton of problems in a game like this at home against an offense like that. What do you think, Voss? We all know this is a tricky game. Since he always, always play the Ravens tough, I'm going to start on the offensive side of the ball. The, the Ravens definitely need a stout performance from their offensive line. Since he's pass rush has the ability to wreck the game plan, as they did in the first matchup last year, Geno Atkins has given Marshall Yonda more trouble than probably any other player that he's ever faced over the years. Carlos Dunlap has made a big impact against the Ravens as well. And Carl Lawson can test Ronnie Stanley. He had some good reps on him the last year and the year before. If the pass pro holds up, Baltimore can attack their linebackers with the tight ends. I'm not sure Roman wants to call out of deep passes, though, since he's secondary while inconsistent. They do have some ball hawks. Really, this is a game that just pound the rock and pound the rock over and over again. A 10-minute or even 12-minute-plus time of possession advantage is doable and should be the goal. I agree. I think it's time, finally, for, for – I mean, Marvin Lewis is gone. This should be a new regime. The Ravens need to kick their ass. We have not beat down on the Bengals in, what, eight years? I can't even think of the last time we just smacked down on the Bengals. So my heart's telling me we're going to kick their asses. Um, the weird thing about the Bengals is when I look at their starting unit defensively, they have a lot of really solid players. I'm a big fan of Sean Williams. There are names there for sure, yeah. Yeah, Jesse Bates has an outstanding center field ability. Um, Geno Atkins is an all-world inside uh, defensive lineman playing the three technique, sometimes over center. Um, they got a couple lackluster guys. The thing that really talks to me is by week six, some injuries are going to pile up. If you lose about two starters defensively, the Bengals have maybe the wor- one of the worst defensive units in the history of the NFL. Um, they were terrible last year. But if you're throwing Sam Hubbard out in the instance that Carlos Dunlap can't go, or Ryan Glasgow, who's not ready to take over for Geno Atkins. This unit is going down the tubes. Um, They have talent, but they are so thin. Injuries can decimate this team early, and every team gets bit by the injury bug. So I think by this point, they might be down a couple starters on the road. Um, I think the Ravens are going to smack down on them. I I think it's time the Ravens put up 35, 40 points on the Bengals for once. Um, Andy Dalton, you did mention that you kind of feel like he's been regressing. Maybe Zach Taylor is able to hum some sweet nothings into his ear, get him right as rain, and John Ross will step up, and they'll have a good receiving trio. Uh, Maybe they can put up 20 points or something, but I think the Ravens are going to absolutely annihilate them in this matchup in Week 6. Yeah, and I mean, that's the optimistic ideal scenario for them, but with an ownership group that just doesn't care, I mean, I don't necessarily see how that's just going to fall into place. And yeah, like you mentioned, there are pieces to like there, especially on D. Like Jesse Bates is a freaking machine. The guy had like three interceptions and like 100 plus tackles as a rookie, I'm pretty sure. So that's insane. And you got like William Jackson is an underrated, you know, cornerback. You got Carl Lawson. Yeah, one of the most underrated corners in the league. William Jackson can really play. No doubt. Yeah. And so there's intriguing pieces there, but you downgraded on the defensive coaching staff. You mentioned there's going to be injuries, obviously. That's what happened to them last year, and they were historically bad. So if the injuries pile up again, it's going to be rough. And uh, I'm kind of with you. I'm expecting a comfortable win here. Even if Lamar doesn't play his best game, even if there's, you know, some sort of, you know, downside in, you know, playing one of the units, I think it's going to be relatively comfortable. There's just a too big a disparity in talent and coaching ability right now. And I think uh, with the home field advantage, that's going to help the Ravens toward a uh, smooth victory in week six. 
I will just add really quickly, final thought on this, is that this is right around the time where the Ravens just love to lose games they're not supposed to. Yep. Like right after September up until November, we like to have horrible October. So. You get out you get out to a nice like three and one start and you're starting to print those playoff tickets, then all of a sudden you look around and you're three and four. I, I totally know what you mean. Well, since he gives them trouble, they always give him trouble yep. and we'll see if the change in coaching helps. I think having a, a tendered coach like Harbaugh is going to help the Ravens. Just breaking down the other side of the ball, the Ravens' defense, I think stopping Joe Mixon is going to be their top priority. The Ravens eliminated him in the second matchup last year after he got loose for 84 yards in Week 2, and, and they have incurred some losses on that front, so that's going to be a challenge. And then if they can stop Mixon, Matt Judon and company can pin their heels ears back and hunt Dalton and really destroy that offensive line. Uh, but they do have some really good receivers. A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and John Ross is one of the better trios around. I think the Ravens, again, week after week, we keep saying it, they can lean on that top-notch corner quartet with Earl Thomas on the back end. This will be the Ravens' second divisional game in a row, which is usually tough. And I'm certainly not taking the Bengals lightly, but my prediction, I believe Wink Martindale will use deception effectively to confuse Dalton, and Harbaugh will welcome Zach Taylor to the north with a rather comfortable Ravens W. Yep, I was with you on that. W's all around, Ravens are winning. Yeah, that was me, yep. (laughs) W's just like the uh, Rockets are going to be putting up this year with uh, the Russell Westbrook trade that just happened. I don't know if you guys saw that. Wow, no NBA is nuts. Yep, Harden and Westbrook getting back together. I did not see that yet. Woj bomb. Paul? Did they give up? Yeah, Paul yeah, they gave up Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're gonna dump him, but yeah, they gave him up in like two first round picks and a couple pick swaps. Wow, that's, that's wild. That's wild. Ending the show in a little Woj bomb for you guys. Yeah, a little. Oh yeah, that's that's some breaking news there, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, nice little NBA talk there to wrap up our segments, and I guess that gets us into our one big thought for the week. Oh, y'all thought y'all was getting out of here easy. Oh, no. I'll go first. Uh, we have officially entered the ranking phase of the NFL's offseason calendar. <laughs> with training camp rapidly approaching, everyone seemingly is gearing up for the season with various rankings, ranking everything, position groups, triplets, intra-division groupings, what uniforms, is here, Mount stadiums, everything from every possible angle. Uh, there's a lot of ranking going on right now. And to be fair, we've done a lot of ranking on this pod ourselves lately. Just looking at the assortment of rankings, the Ravens probably average somewhere around slightly above average in the maybe 12 to 13, 14 range. Really, if you just combined everything, and I think that's about right in most aspects, and it still represents an improvement, I think. Ozzy left Costa in a tough spot with the roster and the salary cap. Hopefully, Costa will continue assembling a roster juggernaut over the next couple of years now that he has some cap space and everything else, and the Ravens can creep up into the higher range of most of these rankings because it, it is a player's league. But in the interim, I think we can take comfort in the fact that Harbaugh's teams almost always exceed to some other parts. The last time Harbs had a top 10 roster to work with, he won a Super Bowl. Absolutely. And building on your point a little bit, 
what I mean, what positional group? Please let me know, fellas. I mean, we've had Achilles heels before. The secondary in 2014. There is no huge Achilles heel in this unit. I think they are like a top 15, top 10 talented roster. I think solid coaching and a decently young, but also veteran presence. We're in a good spot. Um, but anyway, leading into my one big thought, it's more of a request. Can we please eliminate the phrase or uh, the terminology? Whenever we're talking about a free agent, the one I saw today is Dak Prescott, or when we're talking about Matt Judon, can we please stop saying, oh, he'll consider taking a hometown discount, or, oh, Dak Prescott is not going to take a hometown discount. What is the point of saying that? Clearly, their agent is putting that into someone's ear who goes and says it, so it's like some whole media thing, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, it's on the ticker of Sports Center as if it's news. Oh, Dak Prescott, not going to take a hometown discount. Obviously, he's not going to take a hometown discount. The guys want to get paid. Can we just eliminate that phraseology out of our vocabulary? Please and thank you. That is all. <laughs> it does. When you see the kind of money the NBA players are getting and the length of their careers. You can't blame football players for maximizing their earnings for sure. And it really seems like NFL players if you on Twitter, and they're starting to get pretty jealous and kind of pissed that NBA players are making so much money knowing that the NFL has such a higher revenue stream and profit stream. I mean, I know the NBA has been doing great, but it seems like NFL players are like, all right, I'm sick of this. Why are we not getting, you know, $270 million contracts? Todd Gurley the other day, yeah, he was saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, it feels like an argument for, or like something that people would say like five, six years ago, but it's somehow grandfathered its way into the even further social media era where like information gets pumped out much quicker and it's just not accurate at all because that's just never going to happen anymore. And yeah, I, I'm with you. I think uh, why would these guys do that necessarily it doesn't really make sense um speaking of things that don't make sense uh reading into social media posts too much um spencer not to put you on blast too much here or anything but my <laughs> one big thought is pretty much about you buddy uh we're we're coming into the uh dark period here for sports twitter with the all-star game over now so a couple weeks till training camp people are going to be watching these players doing their workouts on instagram spencer i know you're sitting there in the room in your dark the only light is coming off your phone and you're just refreshing like patrick or I've, I've got laptop and phone just sitting here refreshing Tony Jefferson's Twitter. Yeah, just trying to, you know, <laughs> see him doing those box jumps and you're just going crazy. Yeah, no, not to bust on you too much or anything, but uh, yeah, those things are just kind of a quick snapshot of what's going on with the players. So I would say with people who are going to be focusing on them super hard over the next couple of weeks, again, not singling you out, maybe don't go too crazy with that because uh, we're, we're going to know sooner or later. And uh, thankfully, it's going to be sooner here with training camp right around the corner. Well, I'm starved for football, so anytime anybody's uh, – if Miles Garrett is very poorly squatting 675 pounds and doing some box jumps, I'm there. Just, I'm play, just play some Madden, dude. Chill out. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I guess we're out. We're out. Peace. See you. You see, I, don't, I ain't no big sack, man. I don't like sacks, man. Mm -hmm. See, sacks take me out of my game. I like running folks down. I like interceptions and touchdowns. Busting up the streams and blocking punts. You in the gutter. You yeah, I like that. You in the gun. I like that ball. He like the trick. That boy like to get down. Down and dirty. I like busting up screens. I just like hitting quarterbacks. That's what I'm saying. That's my plan. That's a nice. I grab a quarterback. <laughs> 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 bang, 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 all day. <laughs> <laughs>